Welcome to So Dead, a podcast where we're nothing if not repetitive. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, Deadheads. Can you believe that 2019 is almost over? No, it kind of went by quick. It went by I mean, quick. a lot has happened, but it went by a little fast. It really did. I'm just kind of sitting here like, whoa, it's almost. Right. Like Listen, I blinked and the year ended. It's almost 2020, and the 2020 jokes are going to be. I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. I'm Jen Carpenter, and this is 2020. (laughs) Um, That, and then it's the Roaring Twenties again, so like Gatsby Uh, is going to be all the rage. I hope so. My house is turning 100 years old this year. Really? Not this year, next year, 2020. Um, And so I want to have like a, we never had a housewarming party because like it's been a project. You know, yeah, but you're finishing up all your projects right now. So. Yes, so we should have them finished. I would hope by to where our yard is able to be occupied by like the spring. So I would love to have like a Roaring Twenties centennial party at the house. That would be fun, fun, fun. Like a brass band. <laughs> Get out of here! I don't know. That's way too much. But yeah, the I would church like next do door something. would probably hate it. I could not care because I don't appreciate their church bells every Sunday morning waking me up. So that's fine. Um, But 2019 was a big year for us, too. Yeah. We started the podcast at the beginning of the year. So we're approaching our one-year anniversary. Happy anniversary, girl. Happy anniversary. What'd you get me? (laughs) I just told you. Happy anniversary. (laughs) That's my present? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, But our anniversary show is coming, too. Yeah, I'm excited, I'm excited for that. Um, any well, details on that you're looking for, pop on our website. Mm-hmm. We're probably posting about them on Facebook, so you know everything there is to know anyway. Yeah, I love, I'm, I'm excited. Anyway. The end of the year is always kind of a time for reflection. Uh, we do those cheesy Facebook montage videos. I you love know. those. <laughs> uh, as you kind of a recap for the tour season before we get Demented Mitten Tours rocking and rolling for the new year. And here in the So Dead Lair, we're going to take a look back at a couple of the stories that touched us the most and meant the most for us to cover. So, Danny, out of all the crazy stories you've told this year, which one has stuck with you the most? <sighs> There's a lot of them. I know. Each one of them has, like, struck a chord. For sure. You know what I mean? Like there's, I may not remember all of the details about every single one, but when somebody says something like, remember this, I'm like, yes. And I remember like just how sad it is to learn their stories. Yeah. But then I'm glad we get to share them so that people can know the legacy and all that. But the one that sticks out the most, I, is the Mary Lance case, of course. Oh my gosh, yes. Number one, I, there's something about doing unsolved yes. cases that like stick out to me. And we got a lot of feedback on hers. Yes. I think we gained a lot of listeners from the Marshall area yes. from hers, which I, I mean, like, and just feeling like being her advocate really. Absolutely. It just stuck with me. And I, anything we can do to bring that case to closure. There's things I wish I would have told differently in that story, but. For the most part, that's probably the one that has stuck out most. I mean, and look, everybody's got their opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it's about finding the truth. Right. And finding Mary. That's right. Or what happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's take a look back on the Mary Lands case. Sounds good. Uh, Mary Lands, who was born Mary Marshall, went missing on Friday, March 12th in 2004. Okay. She went missing from Marshall, Michigan. She worked in the medical field, had two children, son Josh, who is about to have a child with his girlfriend, and a daughter, Stacy, who, 15 at the time, lived with her dad in Atlanta because she did not get along with Mary's fiancé. So, Marshall, just really quick, and we, you Super know, Lansing town. is the center of the universe for us, right? Right. So, Marshall is east, west. It's a it's little west, south. Southwest. Mm-hmm. Ish, um, maybe like a forty-minute drive. Yeah, it's near Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. Yeah. Have you ever been to Marshall? Oh yeah, I love it. The downtown is so darn cute with all those little shops. It's adorable. And they have the best Mexican food restaurant. Do they? Mm-hmm. See, I didn't go there. We're gonna when have I was to there. make a trip. Yeah, because they take cash only. They are the <laughs> good to know. <laughs> they are the next nearest um, haunted tour locally. Oh yeah, they have a. It's. I can't remember what it's called, but Marshall does a haunted tour, and I've always wanted to do it because it's our nearest neighbor that does them, I believe. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have quite the history. Last time I was there, I was walking down the street, and this truck drove by, and off it fell a handgun in the middle (gasps) of the road. No! It just laid there like nobody went and picked it up. A gun in the middle of the road? Mm -hmm. And little old Marshall. Oh, my gosh. Interesting. I was like, I'm not touching that. Marshall's actually on our list to do a paranormal episode one of these days but we have to go there mm-hmm. first and, right and actually experience some things mm-hmm. before we're ready to talk about it that'll be fun it's on okay. the agenda though so um mary's parents moved to california in the beginning of march that year and they asked mary to go with them okay she said no she was so excited to be a grandma that she wanted to stick around Understandable. Of course, of course. Um, so she opted to stay in Marshall, where she lived with her fiancé, Chris Pratt. Wait. And no, it is not Star-Lord, Chris Pratt. Well, Star-Lord can still suck it at this moment in my life. I know, I I'm agree. a huge Marvel fan. No spoilers, guys. Um, I don't need, I know them. You can't spoil anything for me, but you know. But the the Chris Pratt is also getting backlash Right now in like the media for some of his religious beliefs, which is neither here nor there. And not something we want to dive into on this podcast, but what an an unfortunate name to share. It is an unfortunate name because, you know, this Chris Pratt that I'm talking about is a super douche of a guy. Super douche of a guy? He's a super douche of a guy. So Chris Chris Pratt, if your name's Chris Pratt... That's hard to say. Chris Pratt. If your name's Chris Pratt, you're either a superhero or a super douche. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, yeah, exactly. Okay. So on Sunday, March 14th, 2004, Chris called Mary's parents and asked if she was with them in California after all. Because he hadn't seen her. Oh, so, sorry, did my girlfriend that lives with me move with you? Hi. Hi. Hello? <laughs> yes, ring, ring. Um... Hi, is Mary with you? Because Not like you know, all the way across you. the country, is she there? Wouldn't your like red flags be like ding ding? Right. Wouldn't if that was a feasible anything? Wouldn't he have noticed if her right. shit was gone? Right. Ridiculous. I know. So try harder, Chris Pratt. Uh huh. After um, 
They stated, no, she's not here. They end the conversation, and immediately they're like, that fucker did something to her. Hell yes, he did. Because... Because again, it's it not. Make she, sense. It's not. They don't live across town. They just moved to, to California. Right, they like drove from Michigan to California. They're getting settled. They wanted her to move. She said no. And then they've been there a couple of days, and they get a phone call. Hey, right. is she with you? Did she move across the country? She I, didn't. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna marry her, but I just was. I don't know. I live I with her. Know. All her shit's what, still here. But go? I'm an idiot. Fucker. Um, He's about as smart as Star Lord. <sighs> So the next day, Mary's brother, who also lived in Marshall, reported her missing to the Marshall Police Department. So now he calls Sunday. She's reported missing Monday. Okay. Um, Marshall Police begin the investigation on Tuesday, March 16th. Okay. okay. Maybe it was late. So they maybe it was the end four, of Maybe because that was the 48-hour cap. Like, okay, yeah. it's been 48 that's hours. The thing, we get to so go. That's so frustrating. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it and I don't. I get it as a, you know, we have to give people time. Yeah. Adults can do what they want, go where they want. We can't throw right. all of our resources every time you can't find somebody. I know, but, still. but you know what? Yeah, mm-hmm. and so this is, actually, they initially consider it as she's a runaway. She's an adult choosing to stay away. She So she just left. Yeah. So, and this is where I've inserted in my story here, you know, I get so frustrated because time and time again, I get that there are hundreds of people reported missing daily. I get it. And you can't put all of your resources into every single one. But can we, like, as the justice system as a whole, figure something out with this process? Because I feel like every time it becomes an actual missing person case, there is a big chunk of time that is missing. We've lost we, so much. Yes. Evidence, time, We've, chance. Something's got to change. Yes. I, I don't have the answer, so I don't want to sit here and you criticize. Don't. But no, I don't, damn it. We'll come up with an answer, I know, Danny. But I do feel like what something needs to change, here? right? Yeah. I agree. Anyway, um, so the conclusion was that Mary had taken off on her own and was staying gone by choice or something happened to her like, you know, she was hit by a car. Wouldn't they? Right. They'd find her on the, along the side of the road or at the hospital. They'd have to be looking for or, her, but yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Um, so why did they come to this conclusion? Because when police initially interviewed Chris, he stated that Mary had left the apartment they shared that Friday night between 10 and 10.30 p.m. So she went, she left on foot at 10.30 p.m. Friday, Friday night. He called her parents on Sunday. After she didn't hey, come home Hey, is she with you? That kind of... You didn't need her the whole weekend? That might make... Mm, that Depending on the nature of their relationship. Sure. I mean, they didn't have kids together. And we know the nature. They were older. Um and they'd had an so argument, maybe, and that's why she yeah, left. Yeah, if they got in a fight and she left, okay, she's staying with some friends probably this weekend or doing whatever. But now it's Sunday night, and we've got to go back to work tomorrow morning, and she's still not here. So that, I mean... So you would think that would make sense until the rest of the story okay. falls into place. Okay, hit me with so it. So when she left, she was still wearing her work clothes, which were scrubs, since okay. she was in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Her leather bomber jacket, which she loved so much. I loved my leather bomber jacket I loved my in the too. 90s. And she took her purse with her. So it was one degree out that night, windy and snowing. And she left on foot, so Chris says, even though she had just recently bought a brand new Dodge Durango. Oh. 
Ain't nobody going to be leaving on foot when you have... In the middle of winter. In the middle of winter with wind and snow in Nowheresville, Marshall, when you have a car. Right. You know what I A brand new car that you're excited about. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Does not make sense at all. Like, that's, again, another red flag. Yes. So, and nor did she take her phone either. Another red flag. People right. always take their cell phone. Even in 2004, so people were taking their phone. Keys, her car, or her phone. Right. Just a leather jacket, some scrubs, and a purse. Right. So the timeline of that Friday night is between 6.30 and 7. She visited a local party store, which they have surveillance video of. Okay. And she bought pop and a gum. <laughs> pop and a gum? It's not pop and a gum. Gum it's and pop? Gum and a pop. Gum and soda? Or soda, as uh-huh. some would say. A Verner's. <laughs> um, they have her on video okay. making this purchase. Okay. So it's legit. That's where she was. After the store, she met Chris at a tanning salon where if you see pictures of her, she was always like tanned. gorgeously tanned. Yeah. Um, and employees at that tanning salon say that they heard them arguing while they were there and while they were leaving. You think they argued from bed to bed, like through the wall <laughs> with the goggles on? Use the bed. No, I'm using a hex. Use the bed. No, I'm using a hex. I'd be so pissed. I haven't tanned in years, clearly. I I look like Snow White over here. Um, But I would have been so pissed if someone fought with me while I was in the tanning bed. Because that's your place to relax. I know. Like you are like. I'm listening to that, that, that in. In bed music. Mm-hmm. It's a re- very relaxing yeah. moment to tan. Don't argue it is with me, me time. That's right. Shut the fuck up and let me tan. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so Mary had plans to go out with a friend that night. But when that friend arrived, Chris said, she's not available. Can I just say that if I showed up at your house and Dax comes to the door and is like, Jen's not available, I'd be like, the fuck she's not. <laughs> right. That bitch can call me and tell me she's not yes. available. If she wants to dump me tonight, she needs to tell me. I drove all the way out here to Wacousta. Right. You and she's I'm... fucking available. Right. Right. She's no. available to tell me herself that and she's not available. what a weird thing to say. Not right. like she not like came down sick or right. she went to bed early. She's not available. But right. I thought she left you. I thought she left because right. you got in a fight. Well, not a, yeah, and I couldn't find what, what the time, time was yeah. that this person came over. Yeah, that's so, shady as hell. Uh-huh. But when here here's a little different shadiness to it. Okay. When they got back home from the tanning salon, Chris's cousin Adam was at the apartment. So there's someone else there. So there's someone else there. Okay. I have not found a damn thing about what this Adam guy has to say. Huh. I don't know if I want to know, but I can't find anything. I want to know. I don't want him to tell me. No. No. Adam, don't call us. We don't want to know. You can write us, but don't. I don't want to talk us, to you. Send us a Facebook message. Right. Um. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, I... Like, in my head, I'm going, I'm, like, trying to picture this situation. He pops out of the apartment and says she's unavailable. Is Adam still there? Right. You know, like, I have so many questions that I could not find answers for. So Mary's parents come back to Michigan. Right. Immediately. And they've been here ever since. So they had these big dreams to go out to California, enjoy, you know, life out in the sunshine 
and their daughter goes missing. They come all the way back, like within a month, one way or another. Right. Mm -hmm. So they feel like the police is not really handling this case and they're not really investigating it the way that they think it should be held. That they they, they are not now or that they never did. They never did. Okay. They just feel like from the get, it's just not what they would envision for an investigation to be. So they hire private investigator Jim Carlin. Okay. Um, Jim Carlin presents the family with medical records. And they're going, what? You know. Medical records for what? So these medical records show that over the past few years, while she's been with Chris Pratt, um, that she has come in for a broken bone. <sighs> yeah. You um, would think the police might have looked into this a little bit? A little bit. Back to what you said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's missing Friday. Her family calls the police Monday, but when they talk to Chris, when they find out she's missing on Sunday, their initial reaction right. is that fucker did something to her. So right. that would be what they called the police saying. Not just, oh, hey, Mary's missing. We don't know where she right. went. Our daughter is missing. Her fucking fiancé did something. Something right. happened. Something's That's gone. what they're telling the police. Which so is, the police have to investigate it how they have mm-hmm. to investigate it. But you would think that they would at least explore that as an avenue. And would think. they would have gotten the medical records There's reasons. instead of a private investigator doing mm-hmm. it. There's reasons. And it's interesting, too, because it said that her entire family, except for her daughter, really liked Chris. Hmm. They really liked but him. But her daughter didn't like him. But her daughter didn't like him. So red flag, I don't know. I mean, she was 15. You know, so you either go red flag or you're a 15-year-old who hates everybody. But is that why she everybody. was living with her dad? Well, if she was witnessing abuse. Right, that's what I'm saying. She lived right. across the country with her dad. Is that why? Right. It's because she didn't want to be she in didn't. that house with him? Like, that's serious right. to me. I that's agree. not just an I don't like him. If a teenage girl mm-hmm. is willing to uproot her life and move across the country to get away from someone, right. there's a reason. And, and, you know, Mary must have been under some sort of spell because it's... Sure sounds like family meant the world to her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So to let her daughter... You just... When you're in a situation like that and you're being abused, right. you know, your your entire... Everything is skewed. Your yep. brain's just so yeah. fucked up. That yeah. And you make excuses for you them. You make excuses. Your yep. decisions are not the ones you would normally make. So exactly. I, I... Yeah. But that's definitely something that sounds like it didn't get taken very seriously. No, and exactly. It, and it should have. Right. And, you know, her family had no idea that she was being abused. But further into the investigation, they found evidence that she had plans to leave Chris. Oh. Um, and was planning to press charges for assault <gasps> against him. Which, again, you'd think the police would have had a, an idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would okay. think. But... So now Chris, his cell phone was in Mary's name, and that's because I'm guessing that Douche Lord had bad credit. Yeah, or the family plan was cheaper. (laughs) One or the other. In 2004, think about how you paid for your minutes. You needed, like, heavy credit to get a cell phone. You know what I mean? True. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like it is now where anybody can go get a cell phone. Um. So the family was able to obtain the cell phone records. 36 hours after Mary went missing, so this is before Chris had made the phone call to them. So she went missing Friday night, so like Saturday 2 a.m.-ish. They notice um, that an officer 
who was with the Marshall PD, I'm not going to say his name. Okay. Uh, had called Chris's phone at 2 a.m. What? Mm-hmm. And the call lasted 11 minutes. That's a long phone that's a, call. That's a big phone call. I fucking hate talking on the phone. The and only... you, your ass better not be talking to me for 11 minutes. Send right. me a text and we'll take care of business. So the only time I call people is if I'm driving and I'm worried I'm going to forget the thing I need to talk to them about. Mm-hmm. Or if I have something right. really exciting to tell them and I want to hear their voice when I say it. Right. Or if I'm really mad and I want to yell. Sure. For sure. Either way, none of that's 11 minutes. Right. Well, let's proceed. Right. Well, in 2004, was there texting in 2004? I mean, yeah, I think so. Maybe not to the... Yeah, but you had to press like that if you wanted... Right, like you had to push three like four times in order to get that number or that letter. Yes. Right. Oh, my God. That was annoying. Um, I wonder if that's a feature I could have enacted on my kids' phones. They would text so much less if they had to really work (laughs) for it. They'd think about what they wanted to say. Right. Oh, my gosh. No. Okay, let's move on. Um, okay, so the officer stated that she that he had stopped in a local bar, the Stagecoach. That's where I ate when I went to Marshall. Is it? But, yeah. Is that the only, aside from the, Mexi- Me- <laughs> aside from the Mexican restaurant that I went to, is that the only other restaurant? Oh, no. There are several. They have cute little bakeries. Yeah, they have several too. little places to eat but yeah that's where there's a place called Schuler's which here that's a bookstore no I've seen that Mm -hmm. but Um, maybe this is like the Hoppin bar that stays open all night that's where yeah that's where I ate when I was there so I've been to the stagecoach right so while this officer was working he stepped into the stagecoach um and it was 2 a.m and he stopped he says he stepped in to make sure everyone was cool and getting ready to head home Everything's cool at the local watering hole before 2 a.m. Because, you out. know, that's what police officers do. They step in the small town bar and make sure there's nobody too drunk to drive home. Nobody do they causing do that? trouble. You think? I, I don't know. I don't live I in don't Marshall. Know. Maybe I shouldn't question I also that. don't go to bars. I'm very boring. I, so right. I have no So I guess we don't have any. Yeah. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, so he says Mary's best friend, Sue, was there and asked to borrow his phone. So he, so that she could call Mary. What? Instead, she must have called Chris's phone. And talked to him for, what? And talked to Chris for 11 minutes. Are you shitting me? He's a police officer and that's the best story he could come up with? Mm-hmm. That a chick in a bar asked to use his phone and then had an 11 minute conversation on it? With Chris. With her friend's boyfriend? But... Even because if, Mary's missing at this point, right. so there's no so scenario Chris can't come back and say no. She was talking to Mary, right? right. Exactly. So Sue says, "Bullshit. Of this never it's happened. Bullshit. I was not even at the bar that night. I was home <gasps> sleeping. Oh my god. So who made that phone call? The cop. You think? I do think. Okay. So Mary's family and friends believe that the case was mishandled because this specific officer his son is a local known drug dealer and supposedly so was chris oh my and that they did business together so i take back my answer either the officer or his son was on the phone with chris right wow yeah so the family believes there's a cover-up to protect one of their officers oh man Mm -hmm. how 
upsetting because like in Kevin's story, it, it wasn't that, but it's just that they believe they weren't getting help and that police right. aren't taking it seriously. How, you know, traumatic to go through losing a loved one, whether they're just missing or whether mm-hmm. they've been murdered. And then the people that you're relying on for help for one reason, Are, reason or another, they're either purposely covering it up or just don't care enough to do the work. Like right. I couldn't fathom they're part of the re- They're adding to the layers of why you don't have answers. Right. That's awful. I can't imagine that frustration. Um, so at some point, the officers lose the first year's worth of evidence. What? In Mary's case. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? My stomach is hungry. <laughs> um, yes. So the whole first year. Of them collecting anything, gone. And then they that, don't know where it went. It like poof in oh thin God. air. There was no flood. There was no natural disaster. There was no fire. It just disappeared. And, and was it all of their evidence or just hers? Just hers. Oh my God. And this includes her Dodge Durango <gasps> that they had impounded. How do you lose a car? I don't fucking know. The last time that they saw it, I've seen pictures of the last time it was seen. It had no tires on it. What? Mm-hmm. And it was like sitting in a field. What? Like, so- if this is evidence, you need to not put it in outside where the elements can right. damage it or but anything. But also, when we're even talking about the evidence, not only did they lose what they had, but what they had wasn't much because right. they waited so long to actually start collecting evidence and considering it mm-hmm. possibly any version of a crime. Right. Okay. So I, when I was looking at the Facebook page that covers this you know you go down this rabbit hole of comments and everything Mm -hmm. so when somebody posted about the car um i saw a comment of a woman who had bought an exact (gasps) make and model from an auction oh no they sold it at auction and nobody ever like i don't know if a private message ended up happening with her but i so badly wanted to reach out and be like did you get her car? Right. D- is this hers? Oh, my god! Because if this is evidence, first of all, the family asked for her car back. Right. The, you can't just... You can't just sell it. No. Uh, can you? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I know the rules behind that. I think that maybe if a... You know, they, they sell, you know, vehicles owned by criminals that have gone away to jail all the time. But a missing woman? No, you right. can't just you take just her shit it. and sell it. Right, it's And evidence. use the money to buy new badges. <laughs> Are you kidding? That's right. ridiculous. I know. So I like want to dig into that yeah, even further. For sure. I just didn't want to overstep. Yeah. So if you're listening, girl with the Durango. Girl with the Durango. Call us. Um, <laughs> so it gets a little weird. Three okay. months after, as if it's not already, three months after Mary goes missing, they have a flea market. In Marshall, and Chris sets up a booth. I love flea market. I love me a good flea market. I want but to know the also, story of everything I know this there. is a very serious story, but... It is very serious. I'm just picturing Chris, the Chris Pratt, with a booth <laughs> at a flea market right now. With all his movie memorabilia. His little rocket action <laughs> figures. Nope, nope, that's not what it was. Okay. So Douche Lord, not Star Lord. Okay. He sets up 
of booth at the Marshall Flea Market. And he's selling all of Mary's belongings. No. He is. Including her leather bomber jacket <gasps> that she was wearing when she left no. the night she went missing. Yeah. Can you believe that? So remind me, they said she took her jacket and what? In her purse. Two things that Two things. that he was very specific that she left the house with. Correct. And, and now he's got one of them. And now he's selling one of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So... One of Mary's family members sees him at the flea market, confronts him. He freaks out, writes on a piece of paper free, throws it on the table, and takes off. What? So, yeah. Like, I guess. Chris like, Pratt. Like, you are not away, a smart man. guy. You know, like. How arrogant. How fucking arrogant. So, I mean, we don't know what happened, right? Still at this time, she's still missing. Right. But I think we know what happened. And so if we're assuming mm-hmm. that Chris has done something to her, how goddamn arrogant can you be to three months after you've murdered someone, try to sell her belongings, sell what should be evidence right. at a flea market in the town where she lived and you live and you killed her and her family still lives. Mm-hmm. Like that is just pure ignorance and arrogance. Agreed. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, nope, I agree. So a family member, you know, finds him, he writes free, blah, blah, blah. So this family member calls her dad, Mary's father. Okay. And the father calls Marshall PD. Right. Do, this is evidence. Can Are you going to go seize this? Are you going to get this? This jacket that my daughter was wearing right. when she went missing is at a flea market and her boyfriend's trying yes. to sell it. Yeah. Go go get the stuff. You want to know what their response was? Probably not, but tell We're me anyway. not going to go get it. But you're welcome to go get it, and then you can bring it to us if Are you want. Are you serious? Weren't they? Oh, no, they weren't in need of more evidence yet because they hadn't lost everything yet. Not yet, because we're only three months in. Oh, so my late, God. About nine months after this. So, you know. I guess good thing they didn't go get it. Right? Because they would have lost it. They would have lost it at all. Um, <laughs> another weird element to this. Okay. So she took off with her purse. Okay. Mary always kept her birth certificate in her purse. Okay. Nobody knows why. Was it a little weird? Yeah, probably, but she always had it with her. Okay. The year after she goes missing, Chris visits Mary's mom at her work and brings her the birth certificate (gasps) and says, this is a Mother's Day gift for you. Are you serious? So now... Whether she's dead or whatever the real... I don't care if you're missing. I don't care what it is. That's not a Mother's Day gift. That's really Go weird. Fuck yourself, number man. one. And number two. Now that's two things that mm-hmm. she should have had on her when she left that's the house, right. and he's got them both. Yes. And this raises no red flags for police. Guess not. Oh my god. <laughs> um. Shortly after Mary disappears, Douche Lord starts dating a girl. I really like that nickname, by Douche the way. Douche Lord? Yeah. I kind of like it, sure. too. I've adopted it for him. Yes. Um, in 2007, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison for abusing her. His girlfriend after His, Mary. Yes. Oh, my so God. So, yay. But the boo is that he only served four of those of 15 course. years. Of course he did. Mm-hmm. Um, How? I, I'm sorry. Just that's Even though he didn't serve the whole sentence... 
15 years for domestic abuse is seems like a lot. It does to seem me. like a lot. So what he must have done to her. But I got to tell you, when I Googled him, he's got like mug shots all over the place. Does he? He's so got he's lots of them. He's a offender. So he, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, because he was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Now he's a, a convicted abuser. Mm-hmm. He's never been named a suspect in the case. Never been named a suspect. And Mary's just I am. No. no. Yes, he has. Douchelord, you are a suspect <laughs> in the disappearance By of the Mary Lee. He has never been named. <laughs> well, make me, give me a badge. <laughs> right. Um, but most recently, November eight, 2018, he was arrested once again for the sexual assault of a 16-year-old girl. <gasps> And he's still being held for the crime. Oh, my God. So just recently, when he was getting ready to stand trial, his lawyer um, asked for a delay in the trial because Chris wasn't sure he felt physically well enough to stand trial. Did he get his ass beat? He got his ass <laughs> fucking beat in jail. I saw that picture. He had, like, the two, two black, black eyes. eyes. Like, the worst black eyes I've ever seen he in my life. He looked like, more like Rocket the Raccoon. He sure did. Chris Pratt. He sure did. Like he can't, you can kick the shit out of a woman, but you can't. No, I got my eyes blackened, so now I can't stand trial. That you fuck. know, like come on, um, Lord for sure. Right. So, on a serious note, most of the town believes Chris killed Mary. Um, sadly, Mary was declared dead in 2011. Mm-hmm. Family and friends held a memorial for her that year to say their goodbyes. Um, there has been a vigil or a memorial every year since she's went missing, except this past year was the first year that they did not. Her parents said at some point you just have to move on. Um, her parents still live in the area, and they are fighting for her justice. Okay. Um, you can read more about her story on her Facebook page, Justice for Mary Denise Lands. Which we've been in contact with them. Her cousin, Angela, runs that page. Correct. And so we've talked to the family directly. Mm-hmm. Because right. um, this wasn't a story this, that was on our radar. No, this was not at all. Um, actually, this was a listener suggestion. Yep. Pam Sturgill. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Pam. And, and this is important. This is the kind yeah. of stuff we want. Like, even if, you know, there are, once we find out about things, I know I felt like an asshole. Marshall's not that far away. Mm-hmm. There have been billboards. There's this missing oh, woman. Oh, there's a ton out there on And it. I didn't know about it. There's been like a Dateline story so, about it. Right. So even if you think like, oh, they've got to know this or they, they have to have heard of that, send it anyways. Right. Um, You know, we'll, we'll always take it into consideration. We mm-hmm. may cover it. We may not. But anytime that we can help bring awareness, and, and that's what we took from our conversations with Mary's family, right. they want awareness. Yep. It's been 15 years. Um, just, just in March has been yeah. 15 years. They want answers. They want justice. That's right. So in the beginning, it was this woman took off on her own. But at what point? Um, right. The two things she was supposed to leave with have turned back up in right. the hands of her fiancé that was beating her, that she was going to press charges for, who has since been convicted of brutally beating another woman mm-hmm. and raping a teenage girl. Yep. I mean, the answer is there. Right. It's one of those unpunished crimes. Chris Pratt. Douche lord. Douche lord, indeed.
I just really hope that the family gets their answers someday. Me too. That uh, as awful as it is to go through something so tragic to not have answers mm-hmm. is just, um, yeah. So yeah. easily the most important story I've covered so far and the one that will always remain very personal to me is the murder of Stan Casey, um, my dad's friend who was murdered mm-hmm. when they were teenagers. And I think the reason that is so important to me is because if you didn't know Stan, you don't know that story right. because it didn't get the media coverage because his family wasn't, quote unquote, from the right side of the tracks um, because it was failures in the criminal justice system that allowed this to happen to him to begin with. Right. Um and it's such a sad story, and it traumatized so many people. It destroyed their whole family. Yeah, I think that's what's um, so incredibly sad about and it. And nobody remembers them unless it was people that knew them. So to me, it's very important to get this out there in right. the world. Um, and I got so many messages afterwards I from know. people that knew Stan. We got so many through the page. I love that so much, and yeah. having people reach out to us that are connected to a story. It's always a little scary, especially if you recognize the last name and we'll be like, oh, shit. Right. I um, don't know if they're mad at me or not. Yeah. But, you know, our intent is never to be disrespectful to any of the victims. So yeah. hopefully everybody feels like we've done justice by telling we the try. story. I know and that I think got... you, you did incredible telling Stan's story. Thank and it, it is one that should stick with a lot of people, I yeah. think. And I know we've got our different, you know, our different flavor to the way we tell our stories. Mm-hmm. And some people think that that's, you know, in poor taste or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, we're trying to share these stories and get these names out there and get these people remembered. Right. Um, yeah. Let's listen. Now, I'm not going to bury the lead on this one. This is a very personal story for my family. It's one that I grew up hearing kind of in its most um, basic form uh, because Stan Casey was a friend of my dad's growing up. Uh, In fact, they were actually together the night that Stan was murdered. And this is how I always heard the story as a kid because this is how my dad remembered it. Um, During the summer of 1970, my dad... Stan and a couple of other friends went to a party at a house over off Waverly Road and St. Joe on Lansing's west side. When one of the kids' moms arrived to pick them up, Stan was not ready to leave, so he stayed behind. Later that night, he hitchhiked home, was picked up by a couple of serial killers, and was murdered. His mother was so distraught, she committed suicide shortly after Stan died. That makes me sad. Now, all of those things did happen, uh, but the details of the case, which I've only come to know over the past year after quite a bit of research, are so, so much worse Mm. than I ever could have imagined. The Casey family lived on Lansing Road on the city's west side. Stan was the youngest of two boys born to Carol and Mabel Casey in the 1950s. His brother, Stephen, was just four years his senior. Stan was a ninth grader at Waverly East Middle School, which the Waverly School District is just within the within the city of Lansing. Right, it's basically right. the west side of Lansing. Um, so he was a ninth grader at Waverly Middle School, and he was known as the tough guy around school. Mm. He liked to hunt, pick fights, and was obsessed with his girlfriend in the way that only a teenage boy can be. <laughs> you remember those boys? I do. Mm-hmm. Um, he <laughs> had a, <laughs> he had a stocky build, black hair that hung in his eyes and lots of freckles. 
He was 15 years old on the night of June 12th, 1970, when he, when he attended a party on Hume Street with a few friends, my dad included. One of the boys' moms arrived to take them home after a few hours, but Stan didn't want to go because his girlfriend was there, and he was a jealous guy. He didn't want her at a party with some other guys if he wasn't there. Um, so he and his friends argued a bit. I'm not coming. Yes, you are. It's time to right. go. I don't care. I'm going to stay, that whole thing. Right. Um, and then they just left him there because they had to. He wasn't coming, um, and it was time to go. So later that night, he and another friend, Dave, left the party together. At the corner of Waverly and St. Joe, they both threw out their thumbs to hitchhike home, as one did in 1970. Right. Um, Stan's house was only about two and a half miles down the road, uh, but I I Google mapped it. It was about a 50-minute walk. Oh. Um, So that's a long walk, and it was late, and he'd been drinking. And it was 1970. Yeah. So (laughs) at the same time, two cars stopped for the hitchhiking boys. Stan got in one car. Dave got in the other. And that was the last time Stan would be seen alive. Mm. When he didn't come home that night, his parents reported him missing. But it was 1970, and he was a 15-year-old boy who was no stranger to getting into trouble. The police and most people who knew Stan assumed he'd just taken off, was out partying, and would come home eventually. And wasn't that the way of it with the police? They they were always mm-hmm. runaways. And mm-hmm. I mean, just sometimes they were. But they probably the, get more runaway stories than actual missing. And ju- but just out of the the caution and the chance that it's not, um, they probably have a. Hopefully, they have a different process nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I, I who knows? I don't know. Um, so they they figured he was just going to come home eventually. Um, he never did. About a week after Stan's disappearance, the Terrell family of Charlotte was driving through town in their pickup truck. 13-year-old William Terrell was riding in the open truck bed, as one did Mm -hmm. in the 1970s. When you weren't hitchhiking, you were riding in the back of pickup trucks. Right. Um, (laughs) When he spotted something in a ditch along the road. It was the body of Stan Casey, who'd been sexually assaulted, (gasps) beaten, and shot in the back of the head with a twenty-two caliber handgun. For years, the case went nowhere. Police had absolutely no leads. And then a jailhouse confession in 1974 led them to a man by the name of Billy Lee Bargy. Billy Bargy first became known to law enforcement when he confessed to molesting three young boys in the Detroit area in 1955. Can cool. I stop you? Yeah. Billy Bargy is the worst name I've ever heard in my life. But it go is on. a terrible name, and he was a terrible person. Uh huh. It's so it fitting. Fits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, so. Molested three young boys in Detroit in 1955, which was just coincidentally the same year that Stan Casey was born. Um, He was given a choice, go to trial and face prison time or allow himself to be committed to the Ionia State Hospital. He chose the latter. And so at the age of 25, he was sent to the asylum as a criminal sexual psychopath. (laughs) Sound familiar? Does. Um, With little hope of ever being released. Four years later, in 1959, he escaped. He simply walked away from the asylum while working as a trustee. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, trustees were basically inmates that helped run and care for the facility. So those jobs were given to inmates that were high-functioning and not considered a threat. And I'm sure that this is not where the word came from, but to me, it's like, trustee, we trust you. You're trustee. Right. That's and, lame. But, like, you're still not cured. 
No. Quote well, unquote. we're we're going to get into that because Ugh. yeah, this is a mess, honestly. Sorry. So, they trusted the wrong person when they trusted Billy Bargy because he just took the fuck off. Um, <laughs> stole a car and drove out of town. Uh, he was recaptured without incident. He didn't commit any crimes while he was out. They got him. They got him back in. <laughs> and then I wrote, and they didn't trust him anymore after that. <laughs> he was not a trustee. <laughs> he was no longer trusty. Um, in 1970, and this is, to me, really interesting, following up on the piece, you know, your explanation of the, the Goodrich Act, because mm-hmm. this is the undoing of that, kind of. Yeah. Um, in 1970, Bargy made headlines again. Times were a changing, and the whole lock them up and throw away the key thing didn't really fly anymore. Lawyers, doctors, and civil rights activists began arguing that you can't just throw people into asylums indefinitely and not treat them. If they're hmm. in a mental hospital, it's because they need mental help. You can't just keep them there. Right. Uh, either provide them with proper treatment for their mental health issues or let them go. Which, I mean, absolutely, the mentally ill, of course, need and deserve proper treatment, um, but institutions like the Ionia State Hospital were known for their abhorrent treatment of, tr- of patients. They essentially did just take them, lock them up, right. end of story, no actual treatment involved um, or, or no actual treatment that isn't worthy of a horror movie, I guess I should say, <laughs> right. um, involved. So yes, absolutely. The, the first part of that, the, hey, these people are here for mental issues. They need mm-hmm. mental help. 100% agree with that. Right. But the or let them go part is no. where there was a problem because it was not a black and white issue. There was a lot of gray area that was not considered. And Billy Bargy took advantage of that. His was the very first case to employ this ideology as a defense in filing a lawsuit against the asylum to either treat him or let him go. He'd never been convicted of a crime. He confessed, but he was never convicted. Um, Had he gone to prison, he would have been out within 10 years, which that's problematic all on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, 10 years for raping three little boys? Like, get out of here. Are you serious? Right. Um, Just for raping in general. Sorry. Right. There should be no tolerance for that. Right. But we've seen time and time again there's a high tolerance for it, unfortunately. So he'd been in the asylum for 15 years at this point. So he'd been in the asylum longer than he would have been in prison, and he had received no sort of treatment whatsoever. So he actually became the poster boy for this movement. Treat him or let him go. There are so many articles out there, and they're all attached to him. He was Mm -hmm. the first case, the landmark case, where this was a tactic. Um, So in May 1970, when he was 39, they let Billy Bargy go. This is crazy. It gets like way- not like because it's like the insane asylum, but this is just it gets worse. Mm-hmm. So much worse. I'm sure. Um, so they sent him to an outpatient family care program at Lansing's St. Lawrence Hospital. Less than mm-hmm. a month later, Stan Casey was dead. Bargy denied killing Stan, but said he was present when it happened. He said another <laughs> man pulled the trigger, a man by the name of Keith Hamilton who Bargy befriended when they were both patients at the Ionia State Hospital. And they were there at the same time as your guy. Yeah. They were all there together. Yep. Um, so They were probably all buds. Let's talk about Keith Hamilton, this fucking guy. All right. Keith Hamilton grew up in Owasso, <laughs> Michigan. I'm sorry. You, I love how you preface this. Listen, this is... 
so crazy. It's insane. Um, and we keep using the words crazy and insane and we're not doing it to be funny. We're doing it because our vocabulary it's, is that limited. And right. that's what this is. It's, it's like crazy the shock and value yes. word. Mm-hmm. Keith Hamilton grew up in Owasso, Michigan, which is a small town about 40 miles northeast of Lansing. He served two and a half years in the Navy before being discharged for a nervous condition. He served time here and there for minor offenses, uh, furnishing minors with alcohol, stealing cars. Um, He was a patient at the Pontiac State Hospital, so their version of an asylum, for 11 months, starting in September 1955, and then again for almost a year, beginning in April 1957. So he was there for almost a year, got out for a little bit, and Mm -hmm. went back for a whole nother year. Both times, he was treated for undisclosed mental issues. And then in 1958, he was convicted of molesting a child and was sentenced to a year at the Oakland County Jail. (sighs) It's not crazy yet. Like, it's this is how bad this is. And it's already crazy. While in jail, he met his future wife, Betty Smith, the pianist for a local church group that held weekly gospel meetings for the prisoners. (laughs) Still not that bad yet. When he was paroled, Keith began attending prayer meetings at Betty's parents' home and joined their church. No. He and Betty got married in April of 1960, and he obtained a preacher's license. Stop. Let me. It. Now. A convicted child molester out on parole. Obtained a preacher's license. I, I'm sorry. My jaw is to the floor right it now. It really is. This is... Going to get worse. Okay, but they didn't have background checks back then. But his wife, like his now wife, met, met him. him in prison. So she knew he was the bad guy. Did she? Did she? She'll, I mean... We'll find out if she Logically, she should have. Oh, just wait. Ugh. So he's a married preacher now. And he and his wife began traveling around the country together, performing at revival meetings. He would preach and they would sing together while Betty played the piano. This is quite the cover for his dirty mind. They lived in Pontiac with Betty's parents and three brothers, all of them in the same house. Pass. I should mention here. Oh, her three brothers? Are they young little boys? they're older. Well, that's good. Betty would later tell police that she knew nothing of her husband's history with mental problems or the child molestation conviction, which, what? okay, I'm sorry, but if I decided to marry someone I met while he was serving time in prison. Open your eyes, lady. Yeah. I'm not trying to like I push I, any blame at all, but I mean, open your eyes and blame. be aware of who you are canoodling with or canoodling. just flat out having conversations with. If you meet if you're the, gonna share the your love life of your with life someone, in prison, maybe find out why he was in prison. Let's not be naive, ladies. <laughs> <sighs> or anyone. Right. So basically, things are going pretty well for Keith Hamilton at this point. And then he's accused of molesting a little boy he was babysitting. Ugh. While he was awaiting trial on those charges, his ordination was revoked. A wall. You think? That's a good plan. And he and Betty started having problems. Oh, because he yeah, was touching other children. He was touching children. Touching children. Right. He Ugh. started having what he called mental problems and sought help from a psychiatrist, but he couldn't afford more than one office visit. He felt like everyone was losing confidence in him, is what he said. 
And so he was on a downward spiral. You've been on the downward spiral, No, nope, he, ha- he really hasn't yet. He really hasn't. Your not. life is a like Listen, downward shift. On January 2nd, Ugh. 1961, when he was 25, Keith finally lost it. While his finally? wife... Finally? Yes. <laughs> this is going to be good. It's awful. In a bad way. So bad. While his wife and her parents were at church, and for absolutely no apparent reason, he decided to hold Betty's brothers at gunpoint in the basement. He forced 24-year-old Melvin into a small closet and shot him in the back of the head, (gasps) killing him instantly. 25-year-old William took off running up the stairs. Keith caught up to him in the kitchen and shot him in the face. Did he kill him? Yes. At... (laughs) Yes, he did kill him. This makes me um, sad. At this same moment, Betty's other brother, Stanley, who's 28, is arriving home. As he approaches the house, Keith comes storming out, covered in blood, rifle in hand, and announces, I just shot your brother, and then takes off. Stanley runs into the house and finds William dead on the kitchen floor and calls police. Now, here's something super fucked up. Because Keith said, I shot your brother... Instead of, I shot your brothers. Right. It was three hours before they found Melvin's body in the basement closet. So they didn't know that he'd killed them both. They thought that it was just one. Mm. But Keith Hamilton's reign of terror wasn't over yet. He robbed a neighborhood. Nope. Not a whole neighborhood. The entire, like at the neighborhood garage sale? (laughs) He gathered them all up. (laughs) Um, He robbed a neighbor at gunpoint for all of $15.00. Stole a car from the used car lot that he worked at washing cars and started driving home to Owasso, where his mother still lived and which is much closer to Lansing. Um, <laughs> you say through there, gritted buddy. teeth. Yes. Stay, we don't stay want you. We don't want you up here. Um, a little while later, he walked into the Owasso Police Department and pointed his rifle at the officer on duty, Sergeant Frank Galloway, who was a 30 year veteran of the force. Sergeant Galloway recognized Hamilton from his run-ins with the law when he was younger, and he knew about his history of mental illness. So he stayed calm, and he said, Hi, Keith. What you doing with that gun? Better let me have it. That's so like a 1960s cop thing to say. Right. Had there been Facebook, he would have been caught by now. What? Anyway. (laughs) Social media, you know, word spreads fast. Yeah. So Keith dropped the rifle and began sobbing. He admitted to the murders, but didn't offer a motive. In fact, he would later tell police that he couldn't believe that he did it and that his wife's family had never been anything but good to him. So there, when I said there was no reason, there was no No reason. reason. He just snapped and did it. Um, He was charged with two counts of first degree murder, but was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Circuit Judge William Beer sent Hamilton to the Ionia State Hospital with the very specific instruction that he should never be released without the case being brought back before the judge first. But nine years later, in 1970, Keith Hamilton was released from the asylum on convalescent status without the judge's consent, which Judge Beer said he never would have given. Once he was released, Keith Hamilton moved to Lansing. Ugh. Wait, can I stop you? Yes. And I don't mean to sound stupid, but what's convalescent status? Basically, like you were good behavior. Good behavior. Okay. Pretty much. Okay. I think um, that's what I took it to mean. But okay. I like to that's make That's kind of what up. I took it mm-hmm. to. So, okay. Um, and who else had just been released from the Ionia State Hospital and relocated to Lansing? Billy Bargy. 
So that brings us back to the night of June 12, 1970. Hamilton and Bargy were driving through West Lansing when they spotted Stan Casey hitchhiking on the side of the road. They picked him up, but instead of driving him the two miles to his house, they headed out of town instead. According to Billy Bargy, Stan consented to sexual activity with mm-hmm. the two men, but then changed his mind. According to Stan's friends, there is no fucking way. No. If a man had touched him in a sexual way, Stan would have tried to kill them. Which very well may be what happened. They picked up a kid and thought he was going to be easy pickings, and mm-hmm. he wasn't. Um, because a struggle ensued, and Stan was killed, brutalized, and dumped in a ditch on a rural road. Now here's something super duper fucked up. The day after Stan's murder, an article was published in the Detroit Free Press about a lawsuit Billy Bargy had filed against the Ionia State Hospital. He decided to drop his lawsuit because he was free now and happy and being allowed to rebuild his life. Both his lawyer and his psychiatrist were quoted talking about how well Billy was doing, how successful his therapy <laughs> was, and how the courts had done the right thing by releasing him. Oh, eat well, your words. guess what? Probably not assholes because he just murdered a child. That's right. So following mm. Stan's murder, Billy Bargy traveled to Colorado where he was again r- arrested for child molestation. Gross. Keith Hamilton stayed in Lansing, and he moved into a rooming house on the corner of Washington and Lenaway downtown. In September 1972, Keith befriended a woman that had rented a room at the same boarding house, a member of a traveling carnival from Dallas, Texas, that was in town. (laughs) One night, they met at a Lansing bar, and Keith and a friend offered to drive the woman to Pontiac. Why? Who knows? Like... Hey, I know you're from Texas, and you can't possibly have a need to travel Mm -mm. to Pontiac, and I know we don't know each other, but do you want to go with me on an hour-long car ride to the town where I murdered two people? Yeah, like, why are you going back? Right. Mm -mm. So, anyway, um, on September 30th, 1972, the woman's body was found in a recreation area off M59 near Pontiac. She'd been strangled to death with her own nylons. Keith Hamilton was convicted of second-degree murder in that case, and he was serving out his sentence in Jackson Prison when he was accused of murdering Stan Casey by his old pal, Billy Bargy. So I just have to apologize right now because I know this already sounds like a really overdramatic made-for-TV movie, but it is all true. It could be made-for-TV. This is a really good Netflix. It's insane. Uh-huh. And I'll Literally. tell you what's insane about it here in a minute. Of course. Okay. The plot thickens. It, it's so upsetting. Every every facet of this story is so upsetting. Um, so following statements Billy Bargy made while awaiting trial for child molestation charges in Colorado in 1974, an Eaton County officer traveled to Colorado to question him. So basically, they've got him there. They're getting ready to put him on trial. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I killed a kid in Michigan. So the Eaton County officer goes out there to question him. He confessed to his role in the murder, and he was extradited back to Michigan, where he was charged with first-degree murder. A jury quickly convicted him, and he was sentenced to life in prison in 1975. Don't clap. His lawyer appealed, and Bargy was granted a new trial. An appeals court judge ruled that Bargy could not be convicted on his confession alone for a few reasons. One, He later recanted that confession, claiming that he only confessed to the Casey murder to get out of a life sentence he was facing in Colorado. 
-hmm. Since Michigan had taken it so easy on him the first time he raped a little boy, he figured they would do it again. Um, And they did, by the way. Um, Yuck. Two, police found no evidence at all to corroborate Bargy's confession. Um, Literally all they had was the story he told them, and that was it. Um, Three, there were questions about the legality of the confession and allegations of impropriety on the part of the Eaton County Sheriff's Department in obtaining that confession in the first place. It was also determined that the judge that oversaw the trial was guilty of misleading the jury. (laughs) He provided incomplete and inaccurate instructions to the jury, which led to the guilty verdict. The judge was suspended for misconduct, and I think he either got disbarred or forced to retire over it. I'm not entirely sure, but that's my belief. Mm -hmm. Um, His second trial took place in 1977, and Billy Bargy was found guilty of being an accessory to murder after the fact because Mm. part of his story was that his changed story. So his second version was, I was in the front seat. He was in the back seat with Keith. Keith shot him. I just helped him strip him and dump him in a ditch. Right. Um, so he was sentenced to five years in prison. Oh, my God. With 1,079 days already served credited <laughs> since oh the gosh. original conviction because he had served time for that. <sighs> So he served the remaining two years on his sentence and was then extradited back to Colorado, where he was sentenced to 28 years for pedophilia. The last information I could find about Billy Bargy, he was under the care of hospice in a Colorado prison, dying of kidney failure. This was in like 1998, so I can only hope that he is long dead by now. Right. Uh, The most recent info I was able to find on Keith Hamilton was back when he was still serving time for the murder of the woman in Oakland County. I was not able to find any articles or documents where the woman was ever identified beyond just a carnival worker from Texas. Um, that doesn't mean that she wasn't identified. It just means that nobody thought she was important enough to report on it. That's sad. Um, he was never charged with Stan's murder, and he always maintained his innocence. So one man served less than five years for being an accessory after the fact to the murder, but nobody was ever charged for the murder itself. Stan's poor family. Right. So as I stated at the beginning of the story, Stan's mother was so overcome with grief that she committed suicide right. just three months after Stan's death. That's sad. So she missed all she of missed this. She missed all of it. Which Probably may for, be for the better. Right. Um, his father, Carol, passed away some years later, and his brother, Stephen, passed away at the age of 49. Mm. So the entire Casey family is buried together at Deepdale Memorial Park, less than a mile from their Lansing Road home. Wow. Stan's friends were understandably fucked up following his death. Sure. Um, Not just because their friend had been murdered, but because this was the toughest guy any of them knew. Mm -hmm. So if something like this could happen to Stan, it could happen to any of them. Sure, yeah. The day Stan's body was found, the news was announced over the loudspeaker at school. What? One student, who apparently was not a fan of Stan's, said, Good, he was a dick anyway. (gasps) Nearly the entire student body chased him out of the school and all the way home. Good. And just one more thing. That wasn't your dad, was it? (laughs) No. He said he was in a different classroom or not there that day. Um, He wasn't there. He just heard the story about that. Um, So one more piece. Um, The friend that last saw saw Stan alive, Dave, um, who was also hitchhiking and just got into a different car. The two cars pulled up at the same time. 
Um, he remained good friends with my dad for many, many years. Oh. They're still friends. Um, our families were very close when I was growing up. I was friends with his kids. His niece was my very best friend when we were little. And so it's crazy to me to think like how close he came to being the one that That's got right. in that car that night. That's right. So that is the insane story of the murder of Stan Casey that officials tried really, really hard to keep quiet because it reveals just so many failures of the Mm -hmm. criminal justice system on so many different levels. But guess what? I found those pieces. I dug them all up. I put them back together. And now our listeners, at least, will remember Stan Casey's name and they'll remember his story because how could you not? That's right. Yeah, you did a good job on that one. That was a good story. Um, Do you want to do the file dump? Let's dump some files. (laughs) Um, Today we're going to tell you about the best Christmas gifts we've either given or received. Remember my um, Nintendo story? Nintendo! And my sister thought it was... No, it's Tic-Tac-Toe! Yeah. (laughs) I think that's up there with one of my favorites, but I'm going to... Rethink Do a different this. one? Yeah. You want me to go while you're thinking? Yep, 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 yep. I yep. know mine. Okay. So when I was a kid, I was always into everything. I was nosy, but I wasn't necessarily trying to be nosy. I always had to have something to do. Um, and so I was going through um, my mom's pocketbook. It was not, I don't even think it was anywhere near Christmas. I want to say it was maybe October, maybe early November. I was 10. Um, her pocket book, her pocket calendar was sitting on the counter. I was sitting at the table eating and I just needed something to do. We didn't have tablets. We didn't have cell phones. I needed something to read, something to pay attention to, something to, you know, keep my interest while I was eating. I couldn't just eat in silence. Right. <laughs> Who does that? Pish so posh. I was flipping through her calendar for the next year. And I think I was, I want to say, I mean, this was so long ago, but I want to say I flipped to April to see if she had my birthday written down to make sure she got my age right that I was going (laughs) to turn to. And on one of the days, it said NKOTB concert. Stop it. I found our new Kids on the Block concert tickets, too. (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't find the tickets. And I wasn't snooping for presents. That's the whole thing is I was not snooping for presents. That's the worst. I was just looking through her calendar and saw it in there. So I blame you, Mom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So as Christmas approaches, I cannot even imagine how excited my parents were to, like, give me those tickets, right? And at this point, I've known about them for months. So I open the present, and it's the tickets, but it's also a John Knight doll who was my favorite new kid. (laughs) I dropped those tickets on the ground so quick and was like, oh, my God. And so excited about the doll because that part was a surprise. Right. And my parents were like, why the fuck is she more excited about the doll than the tickets? Because um, you already knew you I were already going. Knew. That's so funny. Yeah. And at 10, you're not good at like the fake surprise no, anymore. Not at all. I know. I found ours too. Um, I don't think we got them as a, we might have got them as a Christmas gift. But I remember finding them in an envelope. I don't know why I was snooping. Because I do not like finding gifts either. Um, I'm trying to think what my favorite. I really am going to have to stick with the Nintendo because I. I mean, even the story about your story. sister aside, like getting a Nintendo that in the 80s was, was fucking awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yes. And that lasted forever. 
Yes. So, yeah. So, Nintendo in the 80s. Yes. Bala, for sure. Mm -hmm. I went right from an Atari to a Sega Genesis, so I never had my own Nintendo. I never had Sega. But when we got the Nintendo Wii when my kids were younger, mm-hmm. you could get all those old Nintendo yes. games and Mario. And I was like, I probably played it more than they did in the we beginning. We still have Wii. We do too. We had the, we got the Wii U. We've got, I got that also. Well, I got rid of that because I only really like the Wii. <laughs> and I play Bobble Bobble on it. <laughs> Oh, no, we don't have the Wii U. We have, what's the new one? The Nintendo Switch? Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's what we have mm-hmm. now. But we still have the Wii as well. It doesn't get played often, but we have Yeah, it. we have Xbox, but we're just not gamers. And my kids. I mean, I've got four boys in my house. We've got everything. When Dave and I first started dating, we would stay up to like three or four in the morning. Playing video Playing games? video games. Who's got time for that now? Dude, I was such a cool fucking girlfriend. We're old. And then we got married, and I was like, we're done with this. We don't have time. We have things to do. You tricked him. I didn't. It's because we got <laughs> hobbies. We, ha- we got lives. We have yeah. children now. Yeah. I would love to stay up till three playing video games. That would, shit would be fun. I know it. But anyway. Well, thank you guys so much for making us a part of your day. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon at SoDeb Podcast. You can also find us online at SoDebPodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas to SoDebPodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks and now get out there and shine. Yeah, magnificent what the fucks. <laughs>